Welcome to another episode of Mission Compliance, Unleashing Growth Potential for Defense Contractors. In today's episode, we focus on a critical aspect of building successful and responsible organizations, building a culture of compliance. Compliance officers and executives play a vital role in ensuring that employees understand and adhere to regulations and ethical standards. But how do they effectively create a culture where compliance becomes ingrained in the fabric of the organization? That's what we aim to explore today. Join us as we uncover expert insights, best practices, and practical tools for fostering a culture of compliance. We'll discuss employee awareness techniques, training methods, and strategies that can empower organizations to navigate the complexities of compliance with confidence. Let's do this. We're joined today by Mike Frieder, president of On-Call Compliance Solutions and a CMC registered practitioner and CMC certified professional assessor. So Mike, as a compliance expert, you can speak to the importance of a business having an innate awareness of what it takes to stay compliant in an ever-evolving industry. That being said, how can organizations effectively communicate the importance of compliance to employees at all levels? Man, this is, this is such a great topic, Roman, and thanks again for having me on. Um, you know, I have to tell you that that culture is a really, really big issue that is near and dear to my heart um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, and, and I have to give all credit where it is due. Uh, my wife actually has a PhD in business organizational behavior, which which centers a lot on culture and environment within the workplace. So I've gotten the pleasure over the last, you know, 13, 15 years of learning a lot about culture from her and being able to have some things happen inside of on-call over the years, in fact, that have really given me great insights into, into the incredible value that is building culture into the fabric of your company. So <clears throat> one is I'm going to obviously address the compliance aspect of it, but, but this is going to center a lot more on culture as well. And I think it's going to really, um, this is a really good one for leaders. So if you're, you know, if you're, let's say you're the IT director or general counsel or something like that, and it's in, and, and you, you're agreeing with what we're saying, or you really like the content in this podcast, forward this on to your CEO, forward it on to your VP of HR. Um, but, but, but particularly the CEO, I'm a CEO, so I'll, I'll speak really to a lot of the CEOs and executives and VPs out there um, during, during my answers. So the first thing I'll tell you is that information security and compliance is a cultural issue. It's a risk management issue. It's a lot of different issues, but primarily it's cultural. And the culture always comes from the top, right? So ultimately what your leadership does and what it values will translate into the culture that it makes up the fabric of your company and what your employees and what your team members really care about. So if it's not coming from the top, it will fail as a cultural spike. In other words, you won't be able to move the needle. You won't be able to actually get it to stick. If the leaders don't stick to it, it won't stick with you. So that's the first thing I will say is this really actually has to start with the executives or the leaders in that business unit or wherever it is that this is relevant to. It's got to start from the top. Culture has to come from the top. Second thing is, <clears throat> um, in order to really execute NIST SP-800-171 to the way it was intended, in order to be DFARS compliant, there are two elements that have to be in place. The daily activities of risk management, those have to be in place. Then the second thing is a culture of understanding that this is important has to be in place. If those two things are there, you will succeed. 
And when I say succeed, I don't mean check the box, get 110 score on SPRS. I mean, you'll actually succeed in keeping your organization safe, lowering your attack threshold, uh, lowering the risk to your organization. And believe it or not, this will 110% seep through to your sales team. And you will literally sell more because you'll have unique competitive differentiators that you just didn't have before and that your competition just doesn't have. Okay. So let me explain how it really works. And I'm going to use one of my own examples. Um, and, and this is, this is a true story, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to go personal on this. I'm going to go deep on this. For many years, I used to run on call and on call to me was an investment grade asset. Okay. So I, I'll, I'll literally, you know, I'll just be open and honest about how this works. Okay. On call was a company that was developed to develop cash flow. It was developed to support my lifestyle. It was developed to uh, build an investment portfolio, et cetera. Uh, that look, if you're not a business owner, that's the reason why most business owners really start a business one to, to make a better life for themselves. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes along the way. <clears throat> um, usually whatever comes along the way is, is an amplification of that person's personality. Um, so not to dive too deeply into this, but basically whoever your leader is, that's, you know, the culture is going to be an amplification of what they value. So at that time, what I valued was making money. And, and we had a, a great, great marketing guy in at the time, and he was leading our marketing department. And he sits me out at the conference table. He goes, Mike, tell me about the company, man. What, what are the values of the company? Like, why do you do, why do you wake up and do what you do? And I was truthful with them, right? Because I'm a transparent guy and I don't lie. And I said, well, I'm, we're here to make money, right? We're here to help small business owners at the time um, manage the technology and for them to, you know, have great businesses that, you know, their technology is taken care of and all this other yada, yada stuff. And, you know, he kind of looked at me squarely and he said, you know, Mike, that's great, man. It's a really hard story to sell. And I looked at him and I was like, honestly, I don't have a better story for you. And that was it. And, you know, at that time we were a very small business and, um, we wanted to grow, didn't know how to grow, didn't understand why we weren't growing. We were keeping our clients happy. That wasn't the issue. We had great, great client retention. They just weren't really referring us. And at the end of the day, we were a solution to their problem. That was it. Now you fast forward 10, 15 years, and we really started to transition what the company was all about. I had made the money I needed to make, right? The, the, the money side done, right? Like I, I, I actually... I was fairly famous for coming to company meetings and basically saying, hey, listen, I'm not worried about me. I promise I'm going to be all right. The question is, how can we make this a better company for you guys so you can experience the lifestyle and the things that I'm experiencing? But keep in mind, I'm still a young guy, right? Like, so, you know, to give you an idea, I'm like 40 years old. I still have that little small glimpse of that idealistic kind of situation in my mind. And honestly, I care about the people in, in the company. I, I got people that have been with me for over 15 years. Uh, I've got people who have bled with me in the trenches of cleaning things up and and, and a lot of things. And I had this event that happened to me uh, that I'll never forget. I, I was in Virginia. I was um, starting up our second branch. I'd been doing that for a couple of years. And we had a gentleman who's who was charged with promoting positive culture and trying to win us the best places to work award. And this was all part of his literal written job description. And, you know, there was a, I think something that happened in that person's life and things went sideways. And he basically created this weird culture of fear in one of my offices, uh, you know, and he was running my operation and I, I really was very focused on growth and I did not have my eyeball close enough on what was going on. We started to lose people, not just any people, but I mean, people who've been with us for a long time. And we wound up ultimately discovering that, you know, this person had created a highly toxic work environment. 
was playing the blame game and gaslighting people and just doing some really nasty stuff. And we finally figured out what was going on after, you know, we were about to lose, you know, our second, you know, kind of long-termer. And they, they finally explained what was going on. And, you know, we eradicated the threat, so to speak, right? We pulled out the cancer. And then I came back in and I, I said, hey, listen, you know, I'm sorry that this happened. It wasn't my intention. My actual intention was that we, you know, this guy's job was to help us win a best places to work award for the state of Florida. And nothing breaks my heart more than to know and understand that we were so far from a goal that I thought was actually pretty close. And that a person that I trusted betrayed me and treated you guys like crap. And I think that, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, this is a guy that was trusted to run my operation while I stepped away to focus on growth. And um, you have to be careful about that kind of stuff to an extent, but you still have to trust people when you're running businesses. So what happened was we had, a, you know, I stepped back in and I said, hey, look, I don't really care about the money because there's no amount of money that's really worthwhile to sit here and watch people have a bad work environment. And so we fixed things piece by piece. And the things that I valued, I projected on essentially a newly formed management team. And I and their and the management team's job was to say, hey, look, man, I know you know you guys can quit now if you want, but I fully recognize that this is a mess. And the question is, do you want to hang on and clean this up and make this the company it's supposed to be, the best company ever, or do you want to leave? And I would understand if you do, but one way or another, there's going to be a heavy lift. I'm doing it, and this is like this is this is my sword to fall on, and I'm not going to accept anything less than awesomeness. Like I'm just not like I'm not into it. You know, I, I can, I promise I can make money solo that I don't need, I don't need that kind of uh, negative culture. Right. So we got rid of the negativity and we turned the negativity around. We turned it to be positive and that had to be done from the top. It could not have been done without me, the leader of the company, stepping in and cleaning things up. And I think it's really fortunate that I had that experience because number one, I had, I had my wife at my side working with me to figure out what the heck went wrong. And, you know, we ultimately figured out that, you know, the person who caused the problem had had a personal life change uh, and, and was hiding that from me because who knows why, you know, the sad part about it was, you know, it was financial. And if, if I had known what the issue was, he could have come to me and I could have fixed it very quickly. Um, you know, I think again at that time, but instead, you know, instead, you know, that didn't happen and that's all right. You know, I don't really want to focus on, on, on any negativity here other than to just say that, you know, somebody made a mistake, a pretty significant mistake in my eyes and a mistake so bad. I had to come back into the operation and fix it. You fast forward a little bit and I don't, I mean a little bit, I mean, it did not take very long to clean this up. It took a few months. We had to cycle through a couple of new managers. We had to cycle through a couple other people that just didn't belong. Um, you know, people that allowed the situation to go that negative without without sort of making me aware of what was going on. We cleaned up the culture and we put the culture focus back into the right things. One of those was risk management, you know, because we had had a pretty negative risk event that happened. Um, we, we cleaned up a lot of what we did with our clients and we told our clients what happened. In fact, we said, hey, look, this is what happened. This guy's no longer with us. And I don't have anything negative to say about him other than the fact that he just simply can't work here anymore. Um, and I'll tell you what's interesting is I told every single person in my company, I said, hey, we only have one priority here. And it is take better care of the client than anybody else can, right? Take better care of the client than anybody else can. And that one cultural monoblock 
was instrumental in our turnaround. And we did, we turned the company around. The company is now four times the size that it was. The profit level is five or six times what it was. The company's gotten bigger than I ever imagined it would be. And the best part about that is, is that, you know, we have so many cultural tenets of our company that have come into play. One of them is, I just want to do it the right way, right? Like whatever we do, whatever we touch, even if it takes a little bit of extra time, even if it takes a little bit of extra money, I don't care about profit. I want to do it the right way. I want to do it the way that the client cares about. And I want to solve the client's problem. And, you know, I, I pass this on as a story, not as any kind of a lesson or a learning thing, right? Because this is a podcast. But, you know, I'll tell you that it's probably not the most profitable way to run a company, although actually I think it is. I think ultimately when you're doing the right thing, you can charge whatever the heck you want. And I think our company is living proof of that. And we've settled on a price that we know is acceptable because hundreds and hundreds of people every year accept our prices. And they, they in fact, often tell us stories about much higher price competition. And we're okay with that. We don't need to be the highest price either. You know, a happy medium is a happy medium. And I, I got to tell you, we don't have, we have a waiting list of people waiting you know, to get compliant with us right now. Um, and there's a, there's a very good reason for that, right? Like we've, we've had to hire on a lot of extra people to service who needs to be taken care of, who wants to be taken care of in our way. Um, and our people are happy. We have little to no people that ever leave us. I'd say the only exception of, of people who ever leave our company are people who get hired and have either sort of, I don't want to say the word falsified because that's pretty harsh, but who said they could do the work and they can't hang, right? Our culture will chew that person up and spit them out. And I've built that into our culture. And I think for any defense contractor listening to this who is who is, you know, realized that they have to be compliant with DFARS, NIST, they need to get prepped for CMMC. I think there's a couple of things I would pass on. Number one is understand it is cultural. You have to have a culture that realizes the entire company has to realize that what you do is protected information and it's defense related information and it's and it's specific to national security. I don't care what you do or how little you perceive it to be defense related. If it's CUI, it's CUI. If it's covered defense information, it's covered defense information. You have a legal obligation to protect that. Every single person in the company should be aware that that information exists and that safeguarding it is no joke. Now, when you make that a core tenant of your culture, when you talk about it in company meetings, when you have risk management meetings with senior leadership, okay, which we do every quarter, when you walk the walk, cool things happen. Number one, and this is one of my favorite things that happened when we implemented NIST SP-800-171. First thing that happened was I explained the why of why we're doing this. We we're going to go support the United States defense industry. Dude, even for people in my company that were not ex-military, I'm not ex-military. Never mind. People, people got excited. They're pumped. I mean, whether you were in the military or not, I don't think that there's any American that I've ever met who says, I would not like a job where I support my country. It's that simple. And for you, if you're listening to this and, and you work for a defense contractor, whether your role is big or small, it doesn't matter. You're a part of that. You're a part of what makes this country tick. And I think if you recognize the power, the gravity of that. You can integrate that into your culture and you can immediately destroy retention issues, right? If your people are leaving and they're going to competition, it's not for the money. I mean, generally speaking, it's really rarely for the money. As a matter of fact, it's only one eighth of personality types that genuinely value money over the culture that they work in, okay? 
one ETH. And those people will still be persuaded to stay if the culture and work environment is good enough. So make it part of your culture, flow it down to your people and help them understand that on a daily basis, they are contributing to the safety, defense and freedoms that this country has to offer. And if you're one of the people listening to this and you're not in America, that still applies to you if you're supporting the United States defense industrial base, if you're making products for defense. We have tons and tons of international clients. And, you know, again, I just I just kind of float that out there because I just think it's I think it's vital to understand the truth about how big culture is as far as an impact. Um, second thing that I would really recommend is if you're a company that doesn't literally talk about culture from the first day an employee walks in the door, you should change that. I will tell you that um, I used to do it live. I miss those days when I could do it live. We now do it via uh, online video training. The first two courses that anyone, 100% of employees sit through is, is a course on our company culture. And then the next one is typically a customer service roundtable so that they can understand what has and hasn't worked for us from a customer service perspective. That's irregardless of the job position. You got to understand that. Um, the culture one is number one. You're actually terminated if you haven't watched that video which, by the way, we verify on the back end of our training system. And typically, in my first meeting with any new employee, I'll ask them a cultural question to make sure that they saw it. You're actually fired from our company if you haven't watched it in 48 hours. It's our first litmus test, right? We just get rid of it. Like, if you somehow, like, don't watch that video within 48 hours, believe me, we've had people that don't. They just go, out oh, it's, it's culture. It's not important how I do my job. I would say to you, culture is everything about how you do your job. So. You know, that's how deeply it's ingrained, um, you know, into into how our people function. And, you know, we'll take it a step further. Right. So when you do that, you are what you eat. You know, that's that's one way of saying it. another way of saying it is how you do anything is how you do everything here. Our culture is deep. And I would encourage every company, if you don't feel like you've got a great grip on culture, get one. And, and if you're struggling, by the way, uh, you know what? Contact us. Tell us you heard the podcast. I'll literally have a one-on-one -on -one call with you. All right. Like not even kidding. It's, look, I, I hope I don't just completely kill my schedule. I'll take as many of them as I can, but I will make time for someone who genuinely wants to improve the culture at their company. Right? If you're a CEO or a VP or an executive and, and you're hearing this, um, you know, if I can help you, I'll help you. Like I said, my wife's got a PhD in, in organizational behavior. And the really cool thing is she gets to go experiment all the stuff that she does at work within our company here at OnCall. And it's it's just, I think it's really cool. I'm really, really lucky. You do not typically get to a point where you've got that level of cultural intelligence in a small to medium-sized business. But the ironic thing is, is that that very cultural difference is what will make your company thrive. Like I said, we 5 x our profit within less than three years by only focusing on culture and the things that matter. So I say all this to say the next thing is if a part of your culture is this DFARS, NIST, and CMMC compliance, where does that come out? Well, it's going to come out in the work you do, but it's also going to come out on your sales teams because what's the number one thing your sales team learn? They learn about your culture, who you are, what you do, what you're all about. And if what you're all about involves the information security that's required by law anyway, well, more better because now all of a sudden those sales guys aren't just going to tell them about all the products and features and the benefits of the client. They're also going to say, and by the way, one of the top reasons you want to do business with us is because unlike every other company that's out there, 
we have the information security that's approved by the United States Department of Defense. There's no more secure partner you can do business with. When you do business with us, well, you're also supporting the United States Defense Industrial Base. And it's such a, it's such a powerful thing to lead with, right? It's such a credibility builder for the sales guys. And it's such a point of pride when the sales guys have true loyalty to the organization because they love the idea of doing something positive for their country. All right. Sales is a tough job. If you're the head of an organization, you want to make the sales guy's job as easy as possible. You want to give them as much ammunition as possible. And the best way that we found and worked with our clients to do that is to truly teach them not just what compliance means, not just get them compliant, but give them hands-on trainings on how you can actually integrate this compliance into your culture to increase employee retention and to boost sales and open up new lines of sales, revenue, and profit. And it all begins with taking it seriously and really, truly turning on the cultural aspect of this. I just think it's so cool. I know it's a really long answer, Roman, but- No, look, I was- I was locked in because I'll interject here to speak to the business side of culture. It's something that you and I have talked about so frequently off of this podcast. And and we were talking about it just before we press record on this episode, right? Where, where you know, there was a time where I've, I've mentioned a podcast before where I worked for a company that that didn't value it in any, in any kind of way or what was worse, they said they did. And then everything that they showed you was the opposite. And they're there. I won't mention their name on this podcast because that's not fair, but you know, they, they, they're a profitable company and all this sort of stuff, but they got to the point now where there's, there's a hate account on Twitter for how bad the company is. And, and if, and if you're not paying attention to your workers, if, if you're letting things fall through the cracks from a culture perspective, from a, it doesn't matter how you feel about so-and-so as long as we turn profit, then eventually these things are going to come out and it's going to hurt the company as it is with this other company. And when it came time for me to leave and to look for something else, to leave that toxic culture and look for something else, people were asking me, well, what's next for you? What are you looking for? And I said, the number one thing that matters to me, really all that matters to me, is the culture that I'm walking into. Because it doesn't matter if you work for a company that makes candy. You know, everybody loves candy, candy's great. It doesn't matter if you work for a company that makes candy. And one of the quote unquote perks of the company is all the candy you could want. It doesn't matter if you walk into that candy you know, factory every day and you just feel not valued. And you just feel like they're, you know, they don't want you there. You're not welcomed there. It doesn't matter if you make candy. It doesn't matter because on a personal note, every single day for four years, I would wake up and the first thought in my head would be, nope, I don't want to do it. I don't want to, I don't want to go in there and deal with what's at this other company. And so the number one and most important thing to me was culture. And you and I had that conversation, the first conversation we ever had. You and I had that conversation again when I met you in person for the first time. And I cannot stress to anyone listening to this podcast 
or watching on YouTube, the importance of an inviting culture in your business. Because the only way that you're going to be successful, forget about profit. Profit's great. Everybody loves it. But it's not the most important thing. The only way you're going to be successful is if somebody can either walk into your building and say, I like being here, or walk out of your building feeling like you've properly equipped them to advance in their career, whether it be with you or with someone else. That's the only way you're going to succeed as a business owner. That's my two cents. That's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about compliance. We'll get back to that. But I wanted to stress the importance of what Mike is talking about, about, about making your workplace, whatever it may be, available and comfortable and a place that your workers want to be. Uh, no, I, and I appreciate that. I mean, I think, you know, it's one thing to talk about it, but I think it's another thing to hear from, from another team member too. And, you know, I, I will, as a matter of fact, actually, I'll share, I'll share with you because I know we have a lot of small to mid-sized executives that kind of look at this podcast. Um, you know, and even a lot of IT directors too, right? If you've got subordinates, man, IT is not easy. IT is a really difficult department to run, um, particularly if you're in-house, because let me tell you what, your users are not really all that thankful. Um, you know, we, we probably are a little bit better off because as an external service provider, we survey a lot. You know, part of our culture is we share all of our positive feedback. We share our negative ones too. Um, thank God those are very, very rare. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we're really big on that. But I'll tell you what, you know, internal IT is tough. So, you know, I will share with you that we talk about culture and the why of why we come into the office every single day. We talk about that equally, if not more so, than we talk about any other number in the company. Okay, I'm talking about sales performance, marketing performance service performance, because the only reason those numbers exist to me are because I've got awesome, awesome, you know, team members willing to support and run this company, right? Like, I don't think this whole thing is because of me, right? We might be orchestrating, you know, we're pulling some strings here and there and doing the steering. But the reality is, is that, you know, ultimately it's our culture that drives it. By the way, if you've got a, if you've got a business and you're looking, I, I don't know what better way to say this, right? Like if you've got a business and you're looking to drive more profit, I guarantee you that your next massive step up in profit could be achieved by changing nothing but focusing for six months on your culture mm. and getting your people happier to be there. And by the way, culture is magnetic, or at least it should 100%. be. So it should get the people who don't want to be there out. So I, I guarantee you we could do a whole other podcast, not an episode, a whole other podcast on just culture that's how important that i think it is yeah 100 percent. but again I, I want to be sensitive to time i know i know we got other questions to get to so for sure for sure so getting back to the compliance of it all the importance of compliance often leads many businesses to have compliance officers whose job it is to keep the company on track how how can compliance officers create a culture of accountability and encourage employees to take ownership of compliance and, and man, just another another really great question. So I'll approach that from two sides. So some larger companies have dedicated compliance officers. Um, the typical thought about a compliance officer is that they are like the principal of your school, right? They're walking around the ruler, wrapping you on the wrist when something's not going right. Um, I will tell you that we run a virtual compliance officer service, and we manage compliance for hundreds of companies. 
Um, I think much differently about that role. And again, maybe it just goes to the culture of on-call and who we are. We view, um, we view virtual compliance officers or compliance officers, whichever is relevant to your organization, as cheerleaders. Okay, They are cheerleaders for the organization. They're the people that know what a win looks like. And they know who the pieces are in the company that need to carry that team to victory. And their jobs are to have those coaching meetings on a periodic basis with the players that carry the ball. And I think that's maybe kind of the best analogy. So a compliance officer, is, you know, a compliance officer can't make the company compliant. That's not how it works. They can essentially be the nucleus of compliance from materials to training to implementation, et cetera. But the reality is they're all reliant upon the team members that execute on those areas that are required to be compliant. Um, so, you know, what I would say is you need to be a cheerleader. You need someone on the team to be a cheerleader. And if you don't have a person in that role who is capable of being a cheerleader, you may potentially have the wrong personality type in that role. And you'll hear me talk about personality types a lot because when you're building an amazing team, you've got to be careful because you insert the wrong personality type and they're going to go counter to that, right? Um, they're going to they're going to potentially march march that thing backwards and never get you compliant. So I think that's another very interesting thing is that we vet certain personality types. Um, you know, the same personality type that can be an IT director is not necessarily the same personality type that can be a compliance officer because they just don't work the same with certain people like HR people and things like that. So while it's definitely doable and you do what you got to do in the world to survive, ultimately it may not be the best potential person. So, excuse me, um, I, I think, you know, another aspect of this is, you know, really getting focused in on how to drive culture from a compliance perspective. Well, the way you drive culture, in my opinion, um, is through positive reinforcement, right? You're reinforcing the good things about the culture and you're reminding those people who need to be compliant of the why they need to be compliant on a regular basis. Again, it's the law. It makes our company a safer place to work. It makes it a more stable place to work. It reduces risk. It helps our sales team really stand up on their hind legs and, and throw punches. Uh, you know, all of those various things a compliance officer should be involved in. If you really want to dig into the, into the really nitty gritty of it, amazing companies who are killing it will have their virtual compliance officer or their compliance officer, they'll have them on sales calls. Essentially is like almost like a, an internal third party that knows the script to explain to the client how awesome they are when it comes to compliance. Um, this is so critical when it comes to defense because I'll tell you what, a big concern is getting a supplier in the chain that's not compliant. Then you got to go have that fight about, about who's dealing with the cost later. Yuck. That's, that's a gross phone call to have, right? Um, just deal with a compliant company, you won't have to worry about it. And that's such a huge bonus. So I think the compliance officer's role really is the cheerleader. And any cheerleader is there to reinforce culture and to make sure that the right message is being telephoned down the pole. Um, so great question. Great question. Because I'll tell you what, there are, there's, you know, even if you're small, even if you're a five person company, you still need to be dealing with compliance on at least a quarterly basis. If not, I mean, you're dealing with it every day, really, but you still have to deal with it on a periodic basis from a holistic perspective. So, you know, how do you deal with it? Reinforce positive 
uh, cheerlead to get the negative out of there or the things, you know, the deficiencies resolved, keep the ball rolling and reinforce the idea that it's all because of, you know, the reality that you're a defense contract, the reality you're doing work in the defense industry. And that's positive for our entire country. It's a big deal to be a part of that. Yeah, no, that's 100% agree that, 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 that's, that's a big selling point. Like you said, I don't know anyone who would say they wouldn't want a job, um, helping, helping their country 100%. Um, but, but building a culture or at least a successful culture can't be done overnight. It takes time, training and, and the right kind of leadership. So what, what are some common challenges faced by organizations in building a culture of compliance and how can they be overcome? So the first thing I'll tell you is there's, there are sometimes challenges with leadership. Um, I'll tell you when the company size gets to be over 50, what winds up happening is there's a, a lot of demands on the owner's time uh, or the CEO's time. Um, and a lot of times those challenges are reflected in an absentee owner mentality when it comes to this compliance. And the reason that it's that, that happens, in my humble opinion, is because this is looked at as a cost. It's a check I've got to write, and then I get to check the mark and say I'm compliant, and we move on. I think that's maybe one of the biggest mistakes a defense contractor could make. I think if you're going to do any defense work at all, if your company is doing 1% of its business in defense, I again reflect back to the question, why is only 1% of your business in the defense industry? Do you belong doing that 1% of business in the defense industry? In other words, should you pass on that work? I don't know about you guys, but um, you know we pass on work that's not going to be a significant portion of our business. And we get the offers all the time. Believe me, we're an IT company, right? Like, like at the on-call computer solutions parent company level, we can manage IT for any size organization anywhere in the world. Uh, you know, and we do, but we've chosen to strip away all of that for defense contractors for net new clients, which if you're not a defense contractor, you're not, you, sorry, bye. <laughs> like I said, it's, we're not worried about the money because the money comes when the culture's right. So, um, and that's, that's a real world lived experience, if you will. So, you know, the, the next, the next sort of part of that is understand you got to get your leadership in, in on this. They need to understand that there is a opportunity that lies below the surface and that opportunity is in fact money. You know, there's a saying that says money is hardest to get when you need it the most. And if all your leadership does is focus on profits and money and growth, I'm not saying that's bad, but what I am saying is something else has to give and typically it's culture. And I think that, you know, when that happens, you tend to miss opportunities because growth and profit are not always, they don't always come from the obvious places, right? Sometimes growth and profits come from happier employees. Sometimes growth and profits simply come because you're following the rules. Here's an example of that. If I just pay my taxes and just pay them, just write the check, get done with it, I paid my taxes. If I take time to work with tax professionals, and understand the tax code, well, that time spent understanding the rules nets me a lot of extra profit because I'll get tax breaks that I'm legally entitled to. So that's an example that I think is a very good example, in fact, of it pays to know what the rules are. It pays to understand 
what you've gotten yourself into as a CEO or an executive. And it really pays to understand that if you do this right, it will lead to growth and higher profits. How does it lead to growth and higher profits? Again, you can go back over numerous podcast episodes, but the very least of which is the culture of being a high quality company that cares about information security. Let me pause right there. Sometimes your employees just freaking need to hear something other than profit. Like they just need that because they're not the ones directly seeing. And I'll tell you, in our company, we try our very best to return a portion of the profits to our employees. Something very unique we do here. We try every single every single position here has some kind of bonus structure, incentive, et cetera. Um, there's always a way to earn more money here. Um, that's very unique to our culture. It's something that I've worked very hard to build in. Uh, there's always a, some way to advance here uh, and better your skills, et cetera. Not every company really has that capability. I totally get that. But the point really is is that employees need something more than money to talk about. They need a, they need a bigger reason why. And um, yeah, I just, I just generally think that you will realize those profits and increased revenue when you have a genuine reason that more than just you can care about. Um, maybe, the, maybe the greatest lesson I've learned in over 20 years of, of, of owning businesses so I would really spend a lot of time focused there. Roman, hit me with that question one more time. Let me make sure I've answered it. What are some common challenges faced by organizations in building culture, in, in building a culture of compliance and how can they be overcome? Yeah. So the first one is just thinking it's an expense. It's not an expense. It's not, it's not a black hole of expense. Um, that's, that's the number one problem that I actually see people needing to overcome. The second thing is to shift the mindset from, wait a minute. This is not a problem and it's not an expense. It's a growth opportunity. Now, I'm not going to kid you. Most people who are in this industry, if not basically all of them except on call, their goal is to get you compliant. Well, I understand that the only reason you want to get compliant is to make money. Totally get it. Okay. So what did we do? We decided that we would adapt our program to what the real need is, which is to maintain the business you have and go out and win more defense business. So similarly, um, I, I really think that for if you're if you're sort of first hearing this kind of concept in this podcast, you might kind of say to yourself, "Man, that's a pretty far leap." But the actual reality is, it's not a far leap. As a matter of fact, most clients that work with us substantially grow. I'm not talking about like a couple of percentage points next year. I'm talking like they are leaps and bounds ahead of where they were year over year when they work with us. And the reason is because we teach them these things. We teach them that compliance is only there because it's there to secure sales. We teach them that they can integrate compliance and being more secure as a huge positive shift in their culture. We teach them precisely how to do that. And we teach them that following the rules, just like following the rules like when you're paying taxes, is by far and away the better way to go as opposed to trying to sweep this thing under the rug or keep a can down the road, because ultimately it's the right thing to do. And what's amazing is when your company just simply does the right thing, you'd be amazed at what the result is sometimes. Um, so I, I just, again, I, I reflect on all of that, uh, you know, when it comes to some of the most common misconceptions. I think another common misconception, kind of going to swerve into a different direction here, is a lot of people think that this is just an IT issue. Go hand it to the IT director, go hand it to the IT guy. They're going to take care of it. 
let me tell you what, this whole episode, and even the last one we just did, uh, not talking about IT here, right? We're talking about culture, we're talking about innovation. Those are not IT issues necessarily. Innovation is to an extent. Um, but, you know, what that comes from is that um, it's not an IT issue. First off, it's, it's, if anything, it's a risk management issue. And risk management, frankly, is a CEO level issue, right? Um, it's if a you're, people issue, right? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a company-wide issue. It's a cultural issue. But it, but it starts at the CEO, right? It, it, starts, it starts at the business unit managers. You know, it starts in all of those various places. So I would just really highly encourage um, you know, anyone to drop this concept that the IT guy can do it alone. It's going to be a team effort. You're going to need somebody who's a point person that can be the IT director. Uh, but it's not just their problem. And, and frankly, that IT director is going to need buy-in from other executives in the company. So they've got to, you know, listen, let them listen to this podcast, right? If, if you're struggling, uh, you know, it's been kind of laid on your lap like a seagull on a sunny day, as we like to say, um, you know, just just keep in mind that it's not just an IT issue. By the way, if you're a general counsel, if you're an attorney and you're listening to this, it's not just a legal issue either. I know compliance falls under a lot of legal uh, issues, right? We get a lot of calls from general counsels. Um, and attorneys, in-house attorneys, and even and even a lot of we do a lot of consulting for for law firms. Um, it's not just a legal issue, right? So it's a mix, and you're going to need someone who can lead that mix, and that's typically at the executive level or an outsourced consultant level like us. There you go. You know, I I again, I cannot stress the importance of this entire episode. I think I you know it's it it resonates with with me on a personal level. It resonates with you. We talk about it all the time. And it's just the importance level is up there with anything else we've talked about, if not more so, because it all I, it all starts with culture. Uh, <laughs> for anyone who's listened to us a lot, you know what comes next. Let's get weird. Is there a secret compliance handshake that employees must learn to prove their compliance knowledge? It's a, it's a great question. Um, you got me good on that one. No, there's no secret. You know, I'll tell you, there's no secret handshake, but I will tell you this. Um, when you know, you know. And, and when you don't know, it's really easy, really easy to tell when someone is not compliant. As a matter of fact, um, and, and I don't know if we can link it to the description, um, but, but I'll tell you two things. Number one is if you're not compliant, it's really easy to tell. Uh, it, it's really easy to tell. This thing has got its own set of language. Um, and it just generally speaking, it's, it's just not hard to tell. Um, but that does remind me of this cool thing that we just did. So hopefully you can get a link. Um, uh, hopefully you can get a link to this um in the description we actually have a compliance quiz that we created it's nist80171compliance.com slash quick dash compliance and it's so cool it is a quiz and the quiz is how close to being compliant with dfars 252.204-7012 nist sp800-171 and cmmc 2.0 is your company take this quick quiz to find out it's so cool um, and the reason that we made this thing is because just like you just asked, very, very common question, how close to comply am I? Is there a secret handshake? Like, how will I know when I'm there? And, um, what I would encourage is if you're listening to the podcast and you need to get your organization compliant, you're, you're just trying to figure this stuff out, go take that quick quiz. Um, you'll be able to take that quiz 
Uh, it's going to instantly email you a score when you're done um, and give you a couple options. You can talk with one of our one of our certified compliance experts about your results. You know, you don't have to. Um, it's just kind of a fun quiz to go take and it will tell you where you are. And you know what? If you're if you're passing that quiz, then I think you're in great shape. Uh, I certainly can't. You know, I, I would need to know you a little bit better to tell if you're compliant or not. But again, that quick quiz will give us. Uh, you know, some information where you can really tell how close you are. Um, and aside from that, you know, one thing I would also tell you is there's numerous people out there who go and put in all kinds of weird scores for their SPRS score. Um, your SPRS score is going to be very, very telling about where you are in compliance. So I won't say anything more than that. I'll kind of leave it as a little cliffhanger there, but uh, there may not be a secret handshake, but there are definitely quick and easy ways that you can tell how close you are to compliance. And frankly, when you talk to somebody who knows what they're doing, um, I will just share with you that it is very common that we can tell within minutes, uh, you know, how close to compliance somebody really is. So I would definitely encourage you to reach out. If you don't know the handshake uh, or you're, you're wondering how it might affect you, uh, feel free to reach out to us and we can help. But um, no, no secret handshake, but uh, for sure, there are definitely some, some easy tells. If your compliance score is high enough on that quiz, we will come up with a handshake for you. That's right. We'll do it. <laughs> and that wraps up another great episode of Mission Compliance. We hope our discussion today has provided you with valuable insights, practical strategies, and inspiration to navigate the ever-evolving world of defense. I want to thank you, Mike, for, for what I think has been one of our most important and valuable episodes so far, sharing the importance of, of culture, not, not only as it relates to compliance, but as it relates to building a business and being successful in the business world. I want to thank you so much for, for indulging us with this topic and the conversation that it that followed not just my diatribe in the middle there, but the whole thing was incredibly valuable. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Yeah, always a pleasure. And thanks for coming up with the topics because, uh, you know, I think it's an important one to get out there. And, and uh, if you're listening, thanks. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you got some good value out of it. The conversation does not end here. We encourage you to continue exploring these topics and connect with us on our social media channels. Share your thoughts, ask questions, and engage with fellow listeners by using the hashtag Mission Compliance Podcast. That's us. You can also visit our website at missioncompliancepodcast.com for show notes, transcripts, and bonus content. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform and be the, sure to be the first to know when new episodes like this one are released. And we'd truly appreciate if you could take a moment to rate and review the show. Your feedback helps us to continue to bring you thought-provoking episodes and high-quality content. Join us again for the next episode of Mission Compliance, where we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and industry innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission. See you next time. Thanks, everybody.